You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to everybody. You guys about ready for Christmas? We're about there. That's good. Uh, For those of you I hadn't got a chance to meet, my name is Sean. I'm one of the uh, elders here, one of the preachers here at Grace, and I just want to welcome you. It's, It's good to be together this morning. We are uh, continuing our sort of a mini-series here during the Advent season, uh, and we're looking at the gifts of Christmas. And we started several weeks ago looking at uh, the gift of hope, followed by the gift of salvation. And then last week we looked at the gift of presence. That is, what does it mean that God's presence dwells with his people, that God's presence is with us? And today we are going to look at uh, the gift of joy Um, for Christmas. And I think joy uh, at Christmas is interesting, but I also think it can be challenging. Because for lots of us, uh, joy at Christmas is kind of a no-brainer. It truly is for you the most wonderful time of the year, and you uh, love everything about it. You love the smells and the sounds and the music and the movies, especially on Hallmark. Uh, Whatever you can look at, you love if it's Christmas. You can't wait for October to finish so that you can start getting ready for Christmas. And I've had a lot of Christmases like that in my life, and they were wonderful. But for, for others of us, I think Christmas can be um, painful or difficult, and I think sometimes that happens just because of life circumstances. Um, for me this Christmas, I've, I've really struggled this, this, this Christmas season to find and experience joy. It's been elusive to me. And I think that that mostly is just because I've been very sick. I've had uh, pneumonia, I was out of work for three weeks, Um, My wife had pneumonia. She was out of work two weeks. We've just been really sick. And we, before we had gotten sick, put up our Christmas decorations. The lights are on the outside of the house. All of the decorations are on the inside of the house. But in spite of all that, I just couldn't, I just couldn't feel, I just haven't felt joyful. Um, Even our decorations weren't into it. Our Christmas tree has fallen over three times. Um, It's just been a struggle this year. Joy has been elusive. And I'm wondering as I'm thinking about that, if that's how I'm feeling this Christmas season, and I'm just experiencing uh, what is really a very temporary illness, I'll be, you know, I'm I'm just about well now. I just imagine how some of you are feeling, because I I know some of your stories, and I know that some of you are struggling with illnesses that are threatening your life. I know that some of you are struggling um, with different relationship issues. With, with whoever that might be, spouse, kids, parents, friends, neighbors, whoever that might be, but you're struggling. And so for you, joy's elusive as well. You, you can't find it. I think sometimes if, if that's the spot we're at in, um, I think joy is not only can we not find joy, but sometimes when we see everybody around us experiencing what we perceive as joy, they seem happy, they're enjoying the Christmas season, it sometimes can even heap more pain on us, and, and it can hurt more. And if that's where you're at this morning, my heart hurts for you. I'm, I'm not trying to heap more pain um, or difficulty on you by simply talking about it. I'm simply just trying to talk about the reality of that's where some of us are at. And I want you to know if that's where you are at this morning, that I have been praying for you specifically throughout the week and even this morning, that you would experience the joy of God this morning, that you would experience real and authentic joy because it's something that can be had. 
And today we're gonna look at a very familiar story. It's a story of the Magi or the wise men. It's familiar to, to most, I suspect. Um, but before we get into that, I wanna look at this definition of joy that Jay McKinney helped us look at um, a few minutes ago. This is a definition of joy that we pulled from the Bible Project's website. For those of you that don't know the Bible Project, it's this fantastic resource. They take books of the Bible um, and they, they explain what the whole book is about in like, I don't know, seven to 10 minutes. Um, they're super creative, they're super insightful and super helpful, but they did a little mini-series on joy this Advent season, or excuse me, on uh, word studies, and one of them was joy, and this is the definition they used, and I think it's a good one. They said joy is an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and in God's promise. You see, this kind of joy we're talking about this morning is not the kind of joy that ignores or suppresses our sorrow. It's not healthy, it's not good for you to do those things. But it is the kind of joy that while acknowledging the sorrow and the struggles and the pain, it's about still choosing to experience joy because of God's love and because of his promises for us. This is a little bit like what the Apostle Paul was talking about in his letter to the Corinthian church when he said, we're sorrowful but we're always rejoicing. And so I wanna look at this morning from our text a couple of things that will rob us of our joy, that is their hindrances to us experiencing joy, and a couple of things that will develop and encourage and, and help to grow joy in our lives. And so the, uh, as, with that being said, we're gonna get into our text. Matthew chapter two. I'm preaching out of the ESV this week. Normally we use the NIV. Um, I like the way that the ESV said a couple of things. I thought they clarified a couple of things a little bit better. And so that's why we're, we're doing the ESV this week. Um, Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, came, uh, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So two uh, hindrances to us experiencing joy um, in our lives. The first one I see is a hostility or a bitterness toward God. And I see this in the person of Herod. Look what it says. Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. What was Herod troubled about? Well, he was troubled because these foreigners had come to his city and they're asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You see, Herod saw Jesus as a threat to his rule and to his reign and to his very way of life. 
And we know that he viewed it as a serious threat because look what it says in verse 16 later in the same chapter. It says, then Herod sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. It's a horrifying scene. See, Herod didn't want to leave things up to chance or, or, or the possibility that a young child would grow up and threaten his rule and his reign and his way of life. And so he had all the little boys killed. Now, I think most of us here are not overtly hostile to God, not like that. If we were to evaluate ourselves, I don't think most people would say that they're hostile to God. But I think that it comes out in our culture um, when people say that they love God unless and until him or his word or his ways threatens their way of life. And it's possible that some of you are there this morning. And I think it comes out like this. God, I'm fine with you. I love you, God. Um, But don't tell me who I can and I can't date. God, don't tell me who I can and I can't marry. Who are you to tell me what I can and I can't do with my body or my money or my time or my internet connection? You see, like Herod, these people are the kind of people that want to be king or queen of their own life and they are not willing to submit to Jesus as king and so they do so on their own terms and in consequence they develop a hostility toward God and his ways and even to the church. For others, I think a hostility toward God comes out a little bit more subtly. It comes out a little bit more like bitterness. And I think it it comes out when something about their security or something that's precious to them has been threatened. And so they might say things like, yeah, I'm fine with God unless and until my health fails. Or I'm fine with God unless and until my loved one or my child is taken away from me. Or I lose my job or my home. You see, instead of choosing to love and submit to and worship the King of Kings as Lord and Savior of their lives and find hope and healing and comfort and peace and yes, even joy in the midst of those struggles, they just get bitter toward God. And so my friends this morning, what areas of your heart or your life that you say God is fine here, here, and here, but not here? I won't submit to you in that area, God. My friends, if, if we do this, with any of our parts of our hearts or life, if they're bitter or hostile to God, it will rob us of joy every single time, not just at Christmas, all throughout the year. Are you willing this morning to ask God and to invite his beautiful Holy Spirit to not only look at those spots, to look at those those parts of your heart, but also to invite him into there, to, to ask him, God, will you help me with this bitterness? I don't wanna be bitter toward you, God. I wanna experience real joy. God, will you help me with this sin? Will you help me with this pain? Will you help me with this shame? Because God, I want to experience joy. Will you invite him to do that this morning? Will you invite him to do that? The second thing I see that that can uh, be a hindrance to our joy is an apathy toward God. Now, I don't think that uh, the word very clearly here says that uh, the, the chief priests and the scribes were apathetic. We don't know for sure that they were apathetic to God, but it seems like that to me. It seems like that as as I read the text because when they're asked, where is this this king to be born? They simply answer out out there in Bethlehem. And remember, these, these people have been waiting as a nation for thousands of years for a promised Messiah and king to come. They had been waiting for hundreds of years since the last words that God had spoken through his prophets. They've also been struggling under Roman rule and oppression in their lives. 
But when they're asked where the Messiah to come is, it seems like their response is to simply say, oh, out in Bethlehem. But nobody goes and checks. They don't send anybody with the wise men. They don't send anybody to look for this Messiah. These rumors of the Messiah were all around the city because remember earlier it said, it said Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They were talking about it. And yet for some reason, there seems to be an apathy. And I think apathy in our lives toward God creeps in in a couple of different ways. Um, the first way that I think it creeps in is uh, like the chief priests and the scribes of the day, uh, they've been suffering and struggling for so long under Roman rule and oppression that they've been entirely broken in their afflictions. And I think because of that, they've given up in the hope and desire of the grace that they have been promised in God. And for me, if I'm going to get apathetic in my life, this is how it's going to happen for me. I told you the last time that I preached about uh, the time surrounding my mother's death. And uh, this happened in 2007. My mom died. Tragic horrible death. It was very, very sad. And it was in the springtime when that happened, but also around that same time, my marriage was struggling. I was in the uh, darkest season my marriage has ever gone through, and honestly, I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know if my marriage would last. But God has healed my marriage. Um, I have an incredible wife, an incredible family. I'm so blessed, and I'm so thankful, because that's the kind of God that we have. He brings things new. He makes old new, and he, he heals it when things are wrong. But I still have pains and I still have hurts um, from that time, from that season. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so every year, every year, since 2007 in the springtime, even though the birds are out singing and the, the skies are blue and it rains a lot in Oregon, so we get these beautiful rainbows and the sun's out, everybody seems like they're a little happier. But for me, during that time, man, I struggle. And if I walk long enough in that sorrow, long enough in that depression, I can get apathetic toward God. I can not really want to spend time in his word. I can choose and, and not really feel like I want to spend time um, praying or talking to God. I even struggle during that season to come to church, which I hate saying to you, um, because of this, um, and I've said this before and I mean every word of it, being one of your elders, one of your leaders, one of your shepherds is one of the greatest joys of my life. And so it's hard for me to say that to you that, that sometimes I don't even want to come here. But that's where I'm at sometimes because I'm allowing the struggles of my life. I'm focusing so much on those. I get apathetic about my faith. Is that where you're at this morning? Are you in a place because of illness, or death of a family member, or broken relationships, or problems at work, or stressors at school, or stuff at home, that you have become apathetic to the Lord and his promises? And if that's where you're at, my heart hurts for you because I am there sometimes myself. I came across this quote years ago. Um, it was just a little picture on the wall in somebody's home, and I've never, ever forgotten it. I don't know why it stuck with me, it just has. Normally I remember numbers, this time I remembered words. But it was a, a quote from Mother Teresa and she said this. She said, never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of Christ risen. And that is exactly right. That is exactly what I'm talking about. But I think apathy can creep in um, not only when things are struggle, but also I think it can creep in in, in good times as well. 
Um, I think it looks like this. Um, maybe life is going well. I have a decent marriage. My family's growing. My kids are growing. I have a good job, and I'm enjoying life. But that leaves little room for my relationship with God or a regular, regular connection to his word or to his church. And so sometimes good things distract us and can cause us to become apathetic as well. So we either quit or we never start reading the word, going to church, being in God's community, serving, spending time, doing the things of God. It's also a very, very dangerous place to be. So I wanna ask you again, is that where you're at this morning? For whatever reason, have you become apathetic to God in any part of your heart or life? Because like hostility or bitterness toward God on any level, apathy toward God, whatever the cause, will rob you of joy both at Christmas and throughout the year. Joy is something that has to be contended for. We need to fight for joy. And I see two ways that we do that inside of this text. Um, the first way that encourages us toward joy is to get a proper perspective of God and his promises. I think this is what it seems anyway that the chief priests and the scribes of the day um, stop short of doing. Because remember when they were asked, where is this Messiah to be born? They said, oh, out there in Bethlehem. They quoted a little bit from the book of Micah. But if they had just read on, look what it says in Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. This is an incredible promise. And they seem to have forgotten all, all about that. You see, when we spend time in God's word, it reorients our hearts, it reorients our lives, it reorients our spirit to what God is doing, and it can and does produce joy in our lives. I told you earlier I have been struggling to experience joy uh, this Christmas, which is true until this week, when I spent time, even more time, preparing for the sermon, spending time in God's word. There was something about what God did in that time for me. Man, several times I just stopped and I just worshiped in my family room. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Take a look at some of these promises of God with me. Psalm 9.9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold uh, in times of trouble. Some of you are feeling stressed out this week and anxious because it's Christmas. Familiar verse to lots of us, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is an incredible peace. This is an incredible promise. This is being stressed out and anxious and worked up about some legitimate concerns in your life. But something happens when we take those to this great God of ours and we ask him and we invite him by his Holy Spirit. Would you help me with this? Would you give me a peace? And this great God of ours does that. He gives us a peace that we can't even understand or know. Are you feeling tired this morning or weak or weary? Isaiah 40, 29 31, through 31, he says this, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I think the Spirit of God can and does infuse us sometimes with a supernatural strength, physical strength to get through or to deal with whatever it is we have to. But I also think sometimes the strength that they're talking about in this verse, the things that God's spirit does inside of our hearts and lives is to strengthen us in spirit, to strengthen us in heart, to strengthen us in courage, to strengthen us in mind so that we can then walk through incredibly painful, incredibly hard and sorrowful times and still experience joy. It's incredible. Another one that we get to look forward to, 1 Peter 1 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven from you. Friends, this world's going away. Um, All of us here, every one of us here will die. These bodies will go away. Um, Everything in the world will one day go away. But by God's grace, he is making all things new. And if you have, and if you do put your faith and your hope and your trust in this great God of ours, this can't be taken away from you. It's an incredible promise. One of my uh, favorite verses or sections of scripture is Revelation 21. This is looking forward to that great and glorious day when Jesus one day will come back for us. And it says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I love this section of scripture for two reasons. One, because I have a lot of tears and I cry a lot. And I'm looking forward to a day when that's not, not, not the case anymore. But number two, I love this verse because it reorients um, my heart and my head toward God. It helps me um, get a better perspective of him and his promises, and it helps to build joy in my life, regardless of what's going on in my life. But it's not just about spending time in God's word. It's also about spending time with God's people. And friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, you are my heroes. Because when I'm feeling down, and when I'm feeling like I can't go on, and when I'm feeling like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do, it's you who speak life into me. It's you who encourage me. And one of the guys that does this regularly is my brother, Matt Patrick. Matt and I serve on the elder team together. We serve on the preaching team together. And we serve in student ministry together. And he's one of my best friends. I get to church on Sunday morning, usually between 7 and 7.30. And I go up to the youth room. Um, It's always cold in there. I don't know why. But I sit in the youth room. and, And I read the word of God. I spend time meditating on him. And I also pray. I pray for you. I pray for our students I pray for what God wants to do with them and and you and what God wants to do with me on Sunday morning. It's special time. But after I'm there for a little while, usually Matt shows up and and, and often we just sit and talk. We spend time together. We we enjoy being with each other. We laugh and, and just enjoy life. But we also bear with one another each other's burdens. We also confess sin to one another. We encourage one another. We speak truth to each other. We rebuke each other. This is what Jay was talking about last week when he talked about we discover God properly when we're in the community of God. That time's special to me. It's special to me. Um, Something else that's special to me is is when I get to be as one of your elders and and some of you at times will come into the elder meeting and, and we'll pray for you. 
We pray for illness. We pray for relational issues. We pray for job issues. We pray for all kinds of things. And so people will come sometimes and, and have us pray for them. And this is one of the um, most incredible blessings to me personally. It's so um, incredible to get to watch you in your pain, in your struggles, in your suffering, say things like, I want to be healed. I know God can, and I'm trusting that he will. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to be joyful. I'm still going to follow him. I'm still going to serve him. And why that's so encouraging to me, um, I'm 42 years old. Um, Many of you have lived much longer than I have, 50, 60, 70, 80, sometimes 90 years. And in all of your travels, in all of your, your studies, in all of the miles you've walked, in all of your life experiences, you have still not found anything or anyone who can offer the kind of hope and healing and redemption and joy that we have in Jesus. It's the only place it can be found. And that is encouraging to a guy like me. It makes me want to stay in the fight. It makes me want to serve. It makes me want to love. It makes me want to help. It makes me want to work harder for this kingdom. And so thank you for that. Thank you for the uh, example that you've been to me. And so I want to ask you, are you maintaining the proper perspective of God and his promises? Are you spending time in his word? Are you spending time in the community of God? Are you contending for joy in your life? Because joy can be elusive and we must contend for it. The last way we contend for joy is by worshiping this king of ours. You see, these magi, these wise men, they had traveled some 900 miles. It took months and months and months, possibly even longer than a year, some scholars think. And after all of this journey on camelback or, or, or by walking, however they got there, After all of this journey, when they finally get to Jerusalem, look what happens. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Look at their response in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Um, In the original language, this is a very, very strong statement. This is like saying that they rejoiced like four times over. And they're so excited and they're so um, happy to be where they are. And the reason why is because they have finally found the object of their worship. They had finally found the thing that they had been looking for, the the, the one that they had been coming for. And when they do, it says in, in verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child and they fall down and they worship him. They worship him. It is beautiful because this is where true and real lasting joy can be found is in worship of our God and King. And so that is the invitation for all of us this morning, is to worship the one true God and King. Jay's gonna help us understand a little bit more what that means tomorrow night on Christmas Eve. What does it look like to worship this God of ours? Um, The reality is, is that Jesus is the only one who should be worshiped, but he's the only one that really is worthy of worship in our lives. Jesus is powerful enough to speak creation into existence. Jesus is loving enough not to leave us stuck in our sin. Jesus is humble enough to come to earth and be born as an infant in some tiny village in some nowhere place on earth. Jesus is faithful enough to live a perfect, sinless life, one that none of us have ever lived or will ever live until we get to be home with him in glory. Jesus is supreme enough to allow himself to be killed and then raise himself from the dead three days later. That's what we celebrate at Easter. 
Jesus is reliable enough to make every single one of his promises to his people come true. Some of those we looked at earlier this morning. And Jesus is personally loving enough to choose to put his Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who will choose to follow him. That's why we can have joy at Christmas and throughout the year. You see, the incarnation of Christ, that is his coming to earth as a human baby, is the declaration that all of the effects of sin have been dealt with. The incarnation of Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit for those who follow and trust him and will love him and submit their lives to him is the only reason that we can experience all of the gifts of Christmas, hope, salvation, presence, joy, and worship. So I want to invite the worship team now to come back up. And while they do, I want to, I want to just close with this. There are many people in my life um, who, who, who are great examples of joy to me. There are many people in my life who live this way, and I'm so thankful for them. But one of those people is my brother, Jay McKinney. Um, Jay was a guy that came on our staff a couple of years ago, and Jay and I, uh, we just became instant friends. I mean, there was no, like, getting to know you period. I just, I just love this man. Um, I think he loves me. Um, <laughs> but Jay's one of those guys that just exudes joy in his life. Um, and he talked about it earlier this morning. I think it's so, um, just such a God thing that, that Jay was going to talk about his own cancer journey this morning because I was going to talk about his cancer journey this morning and he didn't even know it. Um, but I love this about you, Jay, because like you said, even by your own words, going through that time, you experienced some of the most incredible joy in spite of the, the sufferings you were going through. And since that time, you continue to show that to us. You don't know if the cancer will come back um, you, you love to be healthy, you're, you're all into health, which is great, but the cancer could come back. And you are a guy who has said um, on days when you're going to get scanned to see if, if your body's healthy or not, whatever the scan says, Lord, I'm going to love you and follow you and serve you. And so, Jay, I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the example you've been to me personally. I want to thank you for the example you've been to our church family and also for the, the influence that you have in this whole area. And I pray that the spirit and glory and joy of the Lord would never, never leave you. I love you, brother. Love you, love you too. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. God, I love you. Um, thank you that because of you, because of Jesus, um, God, we can and do experience real and authentic and lasting joy, um, not just at Christmas, but all throughout the year. And my prayer this morning, Father, is for every one of us in here, myself included, that wherever we're at, whatever's going on in our lives, Father, that your Holy Spirit would help us to experience incredible joy today, incredible joy tomorrow, incredible joy in the rest of this Christmas season. We love you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Christmas Eve services tomorrow, 3, 4, 36 p.m. Hope to see all of you there. Invite your neighbors, invite your friends, invite your families, and even invite your enemies. It's going to be a wonderful time together. I'm going to leave you with the words uh, the Apostle Paul, his letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verse 13, he says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love you, Grace Community Church. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, 
visit us online at gracecc.net.